Part Five of Shallock the Last by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Five. It was coming now, the purpose, out into the light. It had to come. It could not be hidden any longer. It burst up from its secret place, one strong red flare against the darkness, and Shallock saw it and sent the full, cold power of his mind to drown it out. Trevor came into the bridge-room, running. The first black wave of power hit him, crushed him. The bridge-room lengthened out into some weird dimension of delirium, with Galt waiting at the far end. Behind Galt, the one small little key that needed to be touched just once. The towering might of Shallock beat him back, forbidding him to think, to move, to be. But down in that beleaguered part of Trevor's mind the walls still held, with a bright brand of determination burning in them. This was the moment, the time to fight. And he dug up that armament of fury he had buried there. He let it free, shouting at the alien force. I beat you once. I beat you. The deck swam under his feet. The peeling bulkheads wavered past like veils of mist. He didn't know whether he was moving or not, but he kept on while the enormous weight bore down on his quivering brain, a mountain tilting, falling, seeking to smother out the fury that was all he had to fight with. Fury for himself, defiled and outraged. Fury for Jin with the red scars on her shoulders. Fury for Hugh, lying dead under an obscene killer. Fury for all the generations of decent people who had lived and died in slavery so that Shanok's time of waiting might be lightened. He saw Gulk's face, curiously huge, close to his own. It was stricken and amazed. Trevor's bared teeth glistened. "'I beat him once,' he said to the Corin. Galt's hands were raised. There was a knife in his girdle, but he had been bidden not to use it, not to kill. Only Trevor could make the ship to fly. Galt reached out and took him, but there was an unsureness in his grip, and his mind was crying out to Shalak, "'You could not make him stop! You could not!' Trevor who was partly merged with Shalak now, heard that cry and laughed. Something in him had burst wide open at Galt's physical touch. He had no control now, no sane thought left, but only a wild, intense desire to do two things, one of which was to destroy this monster that had hold of him. "'Kill him,' said Shalak suddenly. "'He's mad.' and no one can control an insane human. Galt did his best to obey, but Trevor's hands were already around the Corin's throat, the fingers sinking deep into the flesh. There was a sharp snapping of bone. He dropped the body. He could see nothing now except one tiny point of light in a reeling darkness. That single point of light had a red key in the center of it. Trevor reached out and pushed it down. That was the other thing. For a short second nothing happened. Trevor sagged down across Galt's body. 
Sherlock was somewhere else, crying warnings that came too late. Trevor had time to draw one harsh, triumphant breath and brace himself. The ship leaped under him. There was a dull roar and then another as the last fuel bunkers let go. The whole bridge room rolled and came to rest with a jarring shock that split the ports wide open, and the world was full of a shriek and crash of metal being torn and twisted and rent apart. Then it quietened. The ground stopped shaking, and the deck settled under Trevor. There was silence. Trevor crawled up the new slope of the bridge room floor to the shattered lock and threw it into the pitiless sunlight. He could see now exactly what he had done. And it was good. It had worked. That last small measure of fuel had been enough. The whole after part of the hulk was gone, and with it had gone all but a few of Shalak's corins trapped in the lower holes. Then, in pure surprise, Shalak spoke inside Trevor's mind. I grow old indeed. I misjudged the toughness and the secrecy of a fresh strong mind. I was too used to my obedient Corins. Do you see what's happening to the last of them? Trevor asked savagely. Can you see? The last of the Corins who had been outside with the slaves seemed to have been stunned and bewildered by the collapse of their world and with the spontaneity of a whirlwind the slaves had risen against this last remnant of their hated masters. They had waited a long, long time, and now the Corins and the Hawks were being done to death. Can you see it, Shanak? I can see, Trevor, and they're coming now for you. They were. They were coming, blood-mad, against all who wore the sunstone, and Jin was in the forefront of them, and Saul, whose hands were red. Trevor knew that he had less than half a minute to speak for his life, and he was aware that Shalak, still withdrawn, watched now with an edged amusement. Trevor said harshly to Saul and all of them, So I give you your freedom and you want to kill me for it? Saul snarled. You betrayed us in the cave, and now I betrayed you but without intent. There was someone stronger than the Corins, than even you didn't know about. So how should I have known? Trevor talked fast then, talking for his life, telling them about Shalak and how the Corins themselves were in slaves. A lie, spat Saul. Look for yourselves in the crypts underneath the city, but be careful. He looked at Jin, not at Saul. After a moment, Jin said slowly, Perhaps there is a... Shanok. Perhaps that's why we were never allowed in the city, so the Corins could go on pretending that they were gods. It's another of his lies, I tell you. Jin turned to him. Go and look, Saul. We'll watch him. Saul hesitated. Finally, he and a half-dozen others went off toward the city. Trevor sat down on the hot, scorched grass. He was very tired, and he didn't like at all the way the withdrawn shadow of Shalak hovered just outside his mind. 
The mountains leaned away from the sun, and the shadows crawled up the lower slopes. Then Saul and the others returned. Trevor looked up at their faces and laughed without mirth. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yes, said Saul, and shivered. Yes. Did he speak to you? He started to, but we ran. And Saul suddenly cried out of the depths of fear this time and not of hate. We can never kill him. It's his valley. And, oh, God, we're trapped in here with him. We can't get out. We can get out, said Trevor. Saul stared at him sickly. There's no way over the mountains. There isn't even air up there. There's a way. I found it in the ship. Trevor stood up, speaking with a sudden harshness. Not a way for us all, not now, but if three or four of us go, one may live to make it, and he could bring back men with ships for the others. He looked at Saul. Will you try it with me? The gaunt man said hoarsely, I still don't trust you, Trevor, but anything, anything to get away from that. I'll go too, Jen said suddenly. I'm as strong as Saul. That was true, and Trevor knew it. He stared at her for a long minute, but he could not read her face. Saul shrugged. All right. But it's all craziness, murmured a voice. You can't breathe up there on the ridges. There's no air. Trevor climbed painfully into what was left of the twisted wreck and brought out the helmets and oxygen bottles that had survived for just this purpose. We'll breathe, he said. These, he tried for a word that would explain to them, these containers hold an essence of air. We can take them with us and breathe. But the cold. You have tan skins, haven't you? And gums. I can show you how to make us protective garments, unless you'd rather stay here with the Shannock. Saul shivered a little. No, we'll try it. In all the hours that followed, while the women of the slaves worked with soft tanned skins and resinous gums, while Trevor labored over the clumsy helmets they must have, in all that time Shannock was silent. Silent, but not gone. Trevor felt that shadow on his mind. He knew that Shannock was watching. Yet the last one made no attempt upon him. The slaves watched him, too. He saw the fear and hatred still in their eyes as they looked at the sunstone between his brows. And Jen watched him and said nothing, and he could read nothing at all in her face. Was she thinking of Hugh and how the hawks had come? By mid-afternoon they were ready. They started climbing slowly toward the passes that went up toward the sky. He and Saul and Jen were three gruesome and shapeless figures, in the three-layered garments of skin that were crudely sealed with gum, and the clumsy helmets that were padded out with cloth because there was no collar rest to hold them. Their faces were wrapped close, and they held the ends of the oxygen tubes in their mouths because no amount of ingenuity could make the helmets space-tight. The evening shadow flowed upward from the valley floor as they climbed, and the men who had come to help them dropped back. 
These three went on, with Saul leading the way and Trevor last. And still Shalak had not spoken. The atmosphere slipped behind them. They were climbing into space now, tiny creatures clambering up an infinity of virgin rock in the utter black between blazing peaks above and the flaring lightnings of the evening storm below. Up and up toward the pass, toiling forward painfully with each other's help where no man could have made it alone, through a numbing and awful cold and silence. Three clumsy, dragging figures up there above the sky itself, walking in the awfulness of infinity, where the rocks their feet dislodged rushed away as noiselessly as a dream, where there was no sound, no light, no time. Trevor knew they must have reached the pass, for on both sides now there rose up slopes that had never been touched by wind or rain or living root. He staggered on, and presently the ground began to drop and the way was easier. They had passed the crest, and the oxygen was almost gone. Downward now, stumbling, slipping, sliding, yearning toward the air below. And they were on the other side of the mountain, above the plain of rock that led to... And then, at last, Shannok laughed. Clever, he said. Oh, very clever to escape without a ship. But you will come back with a ship, and you will take me to the outside world, and I will reward you greatly. No, said Trevor in his mind. No, Shanok. If we make it, the sunstone comes out, and we'll come back for the slaves, not for you. No, Trevor. The gentle finality of that denial was coldly frightening. You are mine now. You surprised and tricked me once, but I know the trick now. Your whole mind is open to me. You cannot withstand me ever again. It was cold, cold in the darkness below the pass, and the chill went deep into Trevor's soul and froze it. Saul and Jen were below him now, stumbling down among the rock-strewn lip of a chasm, into the thin high reaches of the air, into sound and life again. He saw them tear away their helmets. He followed them, pulling off his own, gasping the frigid breath into his starving lungs. Shalak said softly, "'We do not need them any longer. They would be a danger when you reach other men.' Dispose of them, Trevor. Trevor started a raging refusal, and then his mind was gripped by a great hand, shaken and turned and changed, and his fury flowed away into blankness. But of course, he thought, there are many boulders and I can topple them into the chasm so easily. He started toward a jagged stone mass, one that would quite easily brush the two clumsy figures below him into the abyss. That is the way, Trevor, but quickly. Trevor knew that Shalak had spoken truth, and that this time he was conquered. No, I won't, he cried to himself, but it was only a weak echo from a fading willpower, a dying self. 
You will, Trevor, and now they suspect. Saul and Jen had turned. Trevor's face, open now to the numbing cold which he could scarcely feel, must have told them everything. They started scrambling back up toward him. Only a short distance, but they would be too late. Trevor shrieked thinly. Look out, Shalak! He had his hands on it now, on the boulder he must roll to crush them. But there was another way. He was Shalak's while he lived. But there was a way to avoid again betraying Jen's people. And that way was to live no longer. He used the last of his dying will to pitch himself toward the brink of the chasm. Hundreds of feet below a man could lie quiet on the rocks through all eternity. Trevor, no, no! Shannock's powerful command halted him as he swayed on the very edge, and then Jen's arm caught him from behind. He heard Saul's voice crying, thin and harsh in that upper air. Push him over! He's a Corin. You saw his face. Jen answered. No! He tried to kill himself for us. But Shalak has him, Saul cried out. Shalak had him indeed, stamping down that final flicker of Trevor's revolt, fiercely commanding him. Slay the woman and the man. Trevor tried to. He was all Shalak's now. He tried earnestly and with all his strength to kill them, but both the woman and the man had hold of him now. They were too strong for him, and he could not obey the last one as he wanted to. Tie his arms, Jen was shouting. We can take him, and he can't do us any harm. The anger of Shalak flooded through Trevor, and he raged and struggled, and it was useless. Strips of hide secured his arms, and they were dragging him down out of the mountains, and he could not obey. He could not. And then he felt the anger of Shalak ebb away into a terrible hopelessness. Trevor felt his own consciousness going, and he went into the darkness bearing in his mind the echo of that last bitter cry. I am old. Too old. Trevor awakened slowly, rising above the dark sea of oblivion, only to sink again, conscious in those brief intervals that he lay in a bed and that his head ached. There came a time when he rose, not to sink again. After a while his eyes opened and he saw a metal ceiling. We made it, he said. Yes, you made it, said a friendly voice. This is Solar City. You've been here quite a while. Trevor turned his head to the voice, to the white-jacketed doctor beside his bed. But he didn't see the man or the room, not at first. He saw only, upon the bedside table in a tray, a tawny eye that winked and glittered at him, a sunstone. His hands started to rise weakly to his face. The doctor forestalled him. Don't bother, it's out. And a delicate job getting it out it was. You'll have a headache for a while, but anyone would take a headache for a sunstone. Trevor didn't answer that. He said suddenly, Jen and Saul, they're here. Pretty odd folk they are, too. Won't talk to any of us. 
You're all a blazing mystery, you know. He went away. When he came back, Jen and Saul were with him. They wore modern, synth-clothes garments now. Jen looked as incongruous in hers as a leopardess in a silk dress. She saw the smile in his eyes and cried, Don't laugh at me, ever. It occurred to Trevor that civilizing her would take a long time. He doubted if it would ever be done, and he was glad of that. She stood looking gravely down at him and then said, They say you can get up tomorrow. That's good, said Trevor. You'll have to be careful for a while. Yes, I'll be careful. They said no more than that, but in her steady, grave gaze Trevor read that Hugh and the Hawks were forgiven, not forgotten, but forgiven, that they too had touched each other and would not let go again. Saul cried anxiously, "'Days we've waited. When can we go back to the valley with the ship for the others?' Trevor turned to the curiously watching doctor. "'Can I charter a ship here?' A man with a sunstone can get almost anything he wants, Trevor. I'll see about it. The chartered ship that took them back to the valley had a minimum crew and two mining technicians Trevor had hired. They sat down outside the ancient city, and the slaves came surging toward them, half in eagerness, half in awe of this embodiment of misty legend. Trevor had told Saul what to do. Out up in the valley, in the skulls of slain Corins, were sunstones worth many fortunes. They were going out with the slaves. "'But they're evil, evil!' Saul had cried. "'Not to the outside worlds,' Trevor told him. "'You people are going to need to start somewhere.' With that done, when they were all in the ship, Trevor nodded to the two mining technicians. Now, he said, the entrance to the catacomb is right over there. The two went away, carrying their bulky burden slung between them. Presently they came back again without it. Trevor took his sunstone from his pocket. Jin clutched his arm and cried, No! There's no danger now, he said. He hasn't time enough left to do anything with me, and I, I feel somehow that I should tell him. He put the sunstone to his brow, and in his mind he cried, Shanak! And into his mind came the cold, tremendous presence of the Last One. In an instant it had read Trevor's thoughts. So this is the end, Trevor? Yes, Trevor said steadily, the end. He was braced for the wild reaction of alarm and passion, the attempt to seize his mind to avert doom. It didn't come. Instead, from the last one came a stunning pulse of gladness, of mounting joy. Why, why you want me to do this? Trevor cried. Yes, Trevor, yes. I had thought that the centuries of waiting for death would be long yet and lonely. But this, this will free me now. Dazed by surprise, Trevor slowly made a gesture, and their ship throbbed upward into the sky. Another gesture and the technician beside him reached toward the key of the radio detonator. 
In that moment he felt the mind of Shalak crying out as in a vast mingled music, a glad chorus of release against chords of cosmic sorrow for all that had been and would never be again, for the greatest and the oldest of races that was ending. The receding city below erupted flame and rock around the catacomb mouth as the key was pressed. And the song of Shalak ebbed into silence as the last of the children of mountains went forever into night. End of Shalak the Last by Lee Douglas Brackett This story has been read to you by Phil Chenevere, March of 2021. Baton Rouge, Louisiana.